Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion running to ru- rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen uh, some of the forensic shows on TV. Has anybody watched CSI? A uh, few, few people. Ah, wow, Gloria Homan. How cool is that? Well, uh, uh-huh, the Burnettes. Wow, what about that? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, did you know that uh, interest in uh, forensics has gone up, that more people are going into it in college because of these shows? But it is very interesting. And some of the things that I think, some of the things that make it so interesting for us is that uh, we look at these things and it's, it's, detailed and it's factual and they're trying to get to the, the matter of the mystery and all that stuff, but they do things that we could probably do. Like they take a sample of stuff and they put it in an envelope. And I think, every time I see that, I think I can put things in an envelope. And then they take some stuff and they put it in a little thing and they shake it up and they put it in a machine that spins it and then a fax paper comes out and, and I think, well, I could do that. And then they do the little feather duster fingerprinter thing. But the coolest thing of all that they do, and it's almost in every show, is when they go to a crime scene and there's blood, they take this like Windex bottle full of something and they spritz it, they shut off the lights, they spritz it, they put on these big groovy red glasses, and then they turn on a black light, and if it's blood, it glows. What are they doing with that light? With that light, they are showing, they're, they're gathering evidence of what has taken place and who is behind it. Well, it's not hard to see in our, psalms, in our psalm here tonight that it's really written in two distinct sections. Um, there's, there's a, even, even with a cursory reading, you can see that they're, they're kind of different. The first part, generally put, speaks of creation. And the second part, generally put, speaks of law. So you've got creation and law. It's two different kinds of things. In fact, there has uh, been some controversy over the years that people have seen these distinctions and they say they're so different. The poems are so uh, different stylistically and tonally that they're, they, maybe some scribe copied them down wrong uh, and there should be 151 psalms. Maybe they don't belong in the same... Uh, some, and I, I'm telling you that they do. Uh, l- look at some of the differences, though. Um, you see that um, 
Oh, look at verse uh, 4, the middle of verse 4. You see how the first part of the psalm is written in uh, just long, fluid lines. Uh, verse 4, their, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words into the end of the world. Listen, in the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. See that long, fluid, poetic line. Then you go to verse 7 in the second part of it. You see that they're more staccato. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. They just kind of come at you in this kind of uh, rat-tat-tat style. They're just both very different. Uh, another significant difference, and we'll talk about this more uh, next week, uh, is this. There's a change in uh, address of God, in the name of God. You look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And you go to the second section of the psalm, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah, Yahweh, different from the first address in uh, the first uh, line of the psalm. So those are uh, some fundamental differences, but for the most part, it can be put like this. The first part of the psalm is uh, praise of God in nature. The second part of the psalm is praise of the Lord in the law. And uh, that's critical to our understanding to keep in the back of our minds as we study it because though we might be looking at two different kinds of poetry, we are indeed looking at one kind of psalm. We have the, the praise of God, the glory of God in nature, the glory of God in the law. The point is the glory of God. We'll look at that more particularly next time, um, some of those details and more practically in our last installment. But for now, let's look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, if we're looking for the, the nail upon which we can hang our hat, it's that, the glory of God. That's the stuff that weaves through the whole psalm. It's the thing that, that, that holds it all together. The heavens declare this glory, as does everything that God has instituted or made. Uh, the skies, day after day, uh, they proclaim the work of His hand, this glory, and that knits the whole psalm together. Now, uh, we do see that... Uh, 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 God generally reveals himself to creation. You know, the sun shines on all people and the stars shine on everybody. And I would re be remiss if I didn't show you uh, a passage in Romans 1. So if you'd flip over there for a second, Romans 1. Uh, many of you probably know what I'm about to uh, talk about. But Romans 1, uh, verse 18. Paul writes this. He says... Um, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they never glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, you get what that's talking about. It's saying that certain things are very plain to all of creation. God reveals Himself in a general way to creation. If you walk out and you go to the Grand Canyon, if you go to Fall Creek Falls and you look at the big large waterfall, if you get on a boat and you go on the ocean, you know, if, has anybody ever been on a cruise? It's amazing the crew, uh, this is just my own observation and not in my notes, but it's amazing to me that the, uh, on a big boat like that, it's the only time you can get a true horizon. You know, 
you look around and you're like, man, everywhere there's a horizon. There's no building. There's no tree. There's no mountain. There's not a telephone pole. It's just this, you know, it's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Nature does that. It overwhelms people. And, you know, when we hear a big thunderbolt, my wife shrieks and my dog cowers and, and all that. God reveals himself in a general way to all of creation. And what happens is this. Uh, it has been made plain to them because God has, been made, God has made it plain to them. What's he made plain? Namely, uh, some of his invisible qualities like mm, his eternal power. His divine nature, His creative hand, it's been made plain. But the problem is this. This is why the wrath of God is being poured out against all uh, godlessness and wickedness. Because the men suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, if we go outside and, and we see a cloud rolling in and we see... And you see the lightning go... And we just go, oh, man, that is impressive. I'm one of these people that... If there's lightning outside, I, I go outside on the porch. I don't know why I do that, but I just, I just, I don't want to get hit. But I just, it's just so amazing. I, I'm just, I, it's a, it's an act of worship in a way. If you're kind of built like that, you know. And uh, but if you take that the lightning bolt and you go, if you say, "Wow, look at that! A divine hand behind that," then what does it do? It makes you look at yourself and go, "Gosh, somebody made me." And if somebody made me, then somebody has rights over me. And, and somebody has a, a standard somewhere, and I might have to comply with this standard, and I don't want anybody to tell me anything. And that's why people suppress the truth. That, that's why, when, you know, if it's a, it's, I don't know how you can be an atheist, ladies and gentlemen, and see a thunderbolt or a canyon. So all that to say, God reveals himself in a general way to creation. And uh, what's, so, what's so interesting, back in our psalm here, what's so interesting uh, is that... Uh, in our, in our psalm, it singles out a certain aspect of creation. You look at verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 1 of Psalm, of psalm 1, uh, 19. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that's the sky. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Notice those parts of, of creation. The heavens, the skies, those times, day and night, they all have to do with a certain element of creation, which is Light. All the time, something about creation is shining. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Those are the two different theaters in which the glory of God is perpetually articulated. Now, if you... Uh, I don't see Gary Weir in here, but if you, if you uh, teach in Little Big Church, you have to think up a title because uh, they stick it on the Internet. And so I, here I thought up a title, The Purpose Driven Light. Kind of cool, isn't it? Probably already outdated, but uh, it's not a good uh, a little while ago. But, um, you know, that's what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, the purpose-driven light. We have God's creation. We have, we have, uh, we have an, an, a, a nighttime and a daytime that pour forth speech. So my, point number one is this. The purpose of creation is to, is to proclaim God's glory. The purpose of everything he's made is to proclaim his glory. What's so unique about uh, the heavens doing is, it, is that it has to do with uh, the ref reflection and refraction of light. By uh, day, by the light of the sun, all things are made clear. By night, uh, the sky is punctuated uh, by the stars and the moon. All the time, something is proclaiming uh, that, that God is the maker. Now, uh, you may be familiar with this. In fact, go, go, uh, 
left to Exodus for just a second. Exodus 34. And uh, let's see, while you do that, I'm going to skip to another place here. Um, Exodus 34, verse 29. You may recall this scene. Um, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders in the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out, uh, and so on. And and he would do that. Now, Paul, uh, not to... to, uh, it misleads you. Paul tells us uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians that uh, he says um, um, he, he's talking about the, the uh, old covenant and the glory of the new covenant, a better covenant. Um, he says, um, if what was fading uh, away came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which, that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So there's another, there's another implication to that whole thing. But my, my whole point in, in showing us that is, just simply, Moses goes into the presence of God and the, the glory of God shines on him so much so that when he leaves, the glory of God shines on the Israelite people and they're afraid. That's the way it is with, with proximity uh, to God. And uh, you want to know if that has an application immediately uh, to, uh, to your life? It does. Uh, our Savior said, I am the light of the world. This same Savior said to believing people, you are the light of the world. Isn't that amazing? Our Savior says, I am the light of the world. He's the way, the truth, the life, and the light of the world. And then he says to people who belong to him, you are the light of the world. I think that's a principle. You get into proximity with God and His glory shines on you and then you get out into a, a lost world and the glory of God is displayed in a unique way uh, by, by His glory. So, ladies and gentlemen, Christian people, consider the beauty and the dignity afforded you in redemption. Uh, we were created as image bearers of God. Sin ruined that and Christ restored it. He redeemed it. That's just an application for our lives. All right, our second point, however, the declaration of God's glory is ceaseless. All right, the purpose of creation is to display God's glory, point number one. The second point is that the declaration of God's glory never ends. Look at verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Notice that they don't uh, chit-chat. They pour forth speech. And, uh, you know, it's not so much uh, a, personic, a personification of the heavens here. You know, like uh, we would read, uh, the trees of the field clap their hands. That's a personification of nature going, wow, the trees, I mean, we know that they don't have hands. But it, it's an idea that, that creation worships God. This is not so much a, a personification of nature as it is to, uh, to talk about the tenacity of the testimony. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. In fact, this is, it, I love this, this picture. 
In the heavens, uh, this is right the last line of verse 4. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. All right, so our big, great, wonderful God. Isn't that a uh, scene? God pitches a tent for the sun. There's the tent. It's the beginning of the day, and out comes the tent. You know, he's ready to go. And what's, what's he like? You know, what's the attitude of the, of the sun? Oh, he's just like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. You know, I, I, I love watching a, a bride come down the aisle. And uh, my wife does a little more than I do. She's like, oh, did you see that? It was beaded. I'm like, beaded? I don't know. It was a white dress. It was dragged on the floor. Uh, look, she looked fantastic, though. But uh, I'm, we're not, dudes aren't looking at the details, you know? You know what I like to do at a wedding? I like when it's... Mom stands up. Everybody stands up. Everybody looks at the back of the room. I do, too. I'm like, man, that's beaded or something. She looks fantastic. But when she gets about halfway down, I look at the groom. I've seen grooms do all kinds of things. I've seen grooms stand there just, <laughs> man, you look fantastic. You know, I've seen grooms with this expression. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen grooms, and I bet you have too, that are just, they're just choking back the tears because they, they can't, I'm, I'm about to make myself cry. <laughs> they, they can't believe this, this vision coming down the aisle toward them. I mean, just the, the, the wellspring of joy in their heart to see this, this cherished thing that is, that is theirs and, and is committed to spend the rest of their life with them. Uh, that's what the sun's like. The morning, uh, he opens up his tent and uh, he comes out like a bridegroom coming out from his pavilion going, I have a testimony that I will proclaim today. And here I go across the sky. Um, he's like, uh, it says, a champion rejoicing to run his course. You know, horses in the gate or a guy in the Olympics, he's down there, you know, they're all doing, jiggling their muscles, trying to get ready. Man, they want the thing to go off. They want the gun to shoot so they can, they can do what they train so hard for. They rejoice in it. They love it. This is what creation is like. Day after day, night after night, what God has made, what is not, what is not affected uh, 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 so negatively by sin is what, what God has made and it rejoices to give testimony and, and tenacious testimony at that. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it shows, it's kind of like a relay race where they're passing the baton back and forth. Uh, it shows the tenacity of, of uh, the, the proclamation of God's glory, but it shows us something too. Every day we wake up and we look at the sky and the weather and we see what it's going to be like. And uh, uh, every day we, we face a new, new uh, uh, climate and, and the sun rises and all that. What does it show us? What does it show us in our, our daily existence? It shows us... Uh, that uh, we're, we're locked uh, in time and space. It shows us that we're, our days are numbered. Um, many of us uh, think of think of the year in, in, with, in, with two things in it. You know, I look at my calendar. I mean, we're back from summer. Tammy hates when I do this, but when we're back from summer, uh, I'll, I'll usually say, well, it's Christmas. <laughs> and uh, after, you know, we crumple up the, the Christmas wrapping paper and put it in the big bag, I'll say, well, it's Destin. You know, I mean, basically, you just got two things, Christmas and Destin. That's your whole life. And uh, and man, they come really fast. They come faster and faster. You know, I mean, I, I hate to I hate to ask the Parkers about it. It's probably like, you know, but but because they're already coming fast on me. But doesn't doesn't it every time we wake up and we look at the sun, it, it, it reminds us it, it creation cries out and says, hey, hey, let me do, let me tell you something about God and you. God's infinite. And, uh, and you're not. Our days are numbered. It, it tells us something else, too. 
Um, once time is gone, it's gone forever. We can't uh, fly around the world backward and, uh, and back up and erase some of the things that we've said or done. We have a history. And that has redemptive overtones to it, doesn't it? We wake up and we see the sun. We go out inside we, we, at night and we see the moon. And we see their, their courses, the courses above. It reminds us that we have a history that we can't erase. What does that point us toward? A Savior. The need for a Savior. Creation is crying out day after day, night after night. Sinful man and woman, you need a Savior. Points us to the Gospel. The passing of the days show us that we are weak, that we need rest, that we are mortal, that we're needy, that we're not self-sufficient. Were the sun not to rise, that would be it. We're totally dependent, regardless of how smart we are, or how rich we are, or how handsome we are, or whatever. We're totally dependent upon God just causing the sun to rise. What, how, what right do we have to boast about anything? That brings us to the last point, which is this. The testimony of nature must be dealt with. If what has been made displays God's glory, and it displays God's glory in an ongoing, uh, a perpetual, uh, magnificent way, it's got to be dealt with. It, it takes the heart to a point where you have to, you have to make a decision as to where you stand with this great big God. Uh, look at verse 3. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There is a never-ending voice established in verse 2, and the theme is augmented in verse 3. You're going to love this. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. That's pretty all-inclusive. I want to show you something. Um, You know, we're going to sing this Sunday. All creatures of our God and King. I love that hymn. This will take on greater significance for you on Sunday morning. Uh, Partway through the first verse. Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, Oh, praise Him. I wonder what passage the hymn writer had open when he was writing that. Listen to the second part of the second verse. Thou rising morn in praise rejoice, Ye lights of evening find your voice, Oh, praise Him. He had Psalm 19 open. Now, this is what you're going to like. It, uh, anybody have a King James Version in here? New King James? Well, I think you have it the, the same uh, deal. Um, you know that there's two kinds of tr- uh, translations of the Bible. There's a word-for-word translation and a thought-for-thought translation. You probably know that. Word-for-word, word, if you think back to Spanish or whatever, and you see uh, Spanish and English side-by-side, side, you're like, hey, that kind of looks like our English word. You can kind of sort of figure it out. Uh, sometimes you'll see them line by line by line, one under the other, and you're like, that, I, I can see how that uh, fits, only it's kind of choppy. You know, the and's in the wrong place, and it's kind of out of whack. Well, that's what a, a, a word-for-word translation tries to do. They take the original autographs, the original manuscripts of the Bible, or uh, as, as, as old as we can get, and uh, 
they translate them word for word, and I try to, to stay uh, as close as possible to that to the, convey the original meaning. All right, thought for thought, NIV is a thought for thought. Uh, word for word is like King James Version, um, New American Standard, Revised Standard Version, English Standard Version, um, uh, Jerusalem Bible. NIV is thought for thought. And what they're doing is they, 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 look at the, they look at the oldest manuscripts and they say, what were they trying to convey? And let's try to put it in our, our modern-day vernacular, okay? All I'm saying is that the King James Version is a word-for-word translation. And they, they tried to guard that. And if you ever think back to a King James Version, you know that there's some words that are italicized. You know why they're italicized? Because they ain't in the original. But they, they come to the translators come to a place and they're like, you know, we want to be true to the original, but if we don't stick this in here, it might be misunderstood. So they put a word in there that wasn't from the original, uh, but they italicize it so we know, okay, that wasn't a part of the originals, okay? All that to say, here's what verse 3 says in the King James Version, without the italics. No speech nor language, their voice is not heard. That's verse 3. So it goes from there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard to three neg- instead of a positive statement, it goes to a negative statement. No speech, no language, their voice is not heard. Here's the New American Standard Version. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Here's one more for you. No utterance at all, no speech, no sound that anyone can hear, yet... Their voice goes out through all the earth and their message to the ends of the world. Isn't that interesting? You've got, you, you, and the idea is, is basically the same. In one sense, no, there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. That's true. I mean, we're, gonna just, we're just about to say that in verse 4. But with, when you have three negative statements, there's no speech, nor is there any language. Their voice is not heard. And isn't that true? The sun doesn't have vocal cords. The moon can't talk. It can't even sign. And uh, so there's no voice, that, that, no utterance at all. And yet in verse 4, it says, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Isn't that an amazing juxtaposition? They ain't got a voice, but everybody can hear it. What is that telling us? It is saying that, that the starry country skies and the beating, blinding sun, they don't communicate... In human terms, they communicate in spiritual terms. They communicate to everybody. They pour forth knowledge. They, they, they speak of a spiritual reality. Um, you know, we've all been to movies and uh, you'll be in some dark movie and, and uh, it's been dark for a long time. People are sneaking around an alleyway and there's a bad guy and you're kind of you know, look in and squint and your eyes have adjusted and then some really mean director, uh, the scene ends and all of a sudden it's like, you know, a snowstorm in Russia. You know, and your eyes just go, you know, you're just blinding. You know what I'm talking about? That, that feeling where you're like, oh, thanks, buddy. That was cruel. This is what creation does all the time. Just over and over you can't you can't exist without having this this placarded message of God and His glory broadcast on what He has made. Um, I got another hymn that I want to read to you that uh, we've never done here. I'd like to introduce it sometime because it's great. But uh, uh, 
Does this does this sound familiar to you? Ba 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 It's a great song. It's called The Spacious Firmament on High. And before I read it to you, I'm going to read you the whole thing. Just remain calm. This is great. You're going to love it. But before I read it, I want to tell you that when I get to the word origin original, original has got a capital O. So it's talking about you know who our maker. Listen. The spacious firmament on high with all the blue ethereal sky. The spangled heavens, a shining frame, their great original proclaimed. The unwearied sun from day to day does his creator's power display and publishes to every land the work of an almighty hand. Soon as the evening shades prevail, The moon takes up the wondrous tale and nightly to the listening earth repeats the story of her birth whilst all the stars that round her burn and all the planets in their turn confirm the tidings as they roll and spread the truth from pole to pole. What though in solemn silence all move round this dark terrestrial ball? What though no real voice nor sound amidst their radiant orbs be found. In reason's ear, they all rejoice and utter forth a glorious voice, forever singing as they shine, the hand that made me is divine. What sound do you think that guy had open when he wrote that? I mean, he wrote that right off of Psalm 19. It's a, it's a voice not heard, but it's a voice that is real nonetheless. It's reason's voice. It's a, it's a spiritual voice. And, and it brings us, ladies and gentlemen, to a place where we have to, we, have to, we, have to, we have to decide where we are. I want to read you one quick thing. This is a translation that I think will be helpful. Uh, and you can follow along in your Bible if you want to or just listen to this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The vault of heaven proclaims His handiwork. You know, the vault is opened up. Day discourses of it today and night to night hands on the knowledge. No utterance at all, no speech, no sound that anyone can hear. Yet their voice goes out through all the world and their message to the ends of the earth. High above, he pitched a tent for the sun who comes out of his pavilion like a bridegroom, exulting like a hero to run his course. He has rising on the edge of his rising on the edge of heaven. The end of his course is its furthest edge, and nothing can escape his heat. And I read that to you for that last word. Nothing can escape his heat. Doesn't that augment the idea even more? Oh yes, the sun shines and the moon shines, except when you're in a cave. When it's pitch black, there is no light at all. Oh, the sun and sh- the moon—they—they they pour forth speech. They sure do. It's too bad you were born blind. No light can get in. It's—it's a—it's a retinal problem. That's it. Sorry, but guess what? You can feel the heat, and even the bowels of the coldest, deepest, darkest cave are affected by the heat of the sun. 
So penetrating is this voice. And what I'm saying to you is that we all have to come to a place where we say, okay, where do I stand with this great God? I either say, I will suppress the truth about you or I will say, all right, I have a need. It is very penetrating news to me. You have made me. I can't erase my history. It's, it's etched in my, my, uh, my life. And I need a Savior. I need help. If I'm going to match up with you and your standard. I embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price on the cross. He took the penalty for me. It was His righteous life that was laid down because mine wasn't righteous and I couldn't lay it down. Nobody could but the Lord Jesus. I see what He did on the cross. I wrap my heart around that. That's what it is to be a believer. That's what a Christian is. Someone who finds themselves stepping over the line into the kingly reign of this God. I have one last thing, and this is for you, O oh believer. You know, it's, it's, it's hard, and, and we do stupid things, and we say stupid things, and, and uh, we're wicked, and we're guilt-laden, and, and foolish... But because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that encouraging, Christian? That for us, with the rising of the sun, we can say, ah, grace again, grace again. His compassions are new afresh. Yes, we are locked in time and space. Yes, our days are numbered. Yes, we cannot erase our history. Indeed, it must be dealt with. But because of the substitutionary, curse-bearing work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the place of sinners, with each tick, of the celestial clock. His mercy is new. And it's for us. And it reaches to the ends of the earth. Even, even to the remote sinner. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory of your word. We just uh, are grateful that we are in a free country where we can hear it proclaimed and... and uh, Rejoice in it and in you in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought us into existence and that uh, tonight when the, the moon shines and the stars come out, our hearts will be reminded of our good and gracious God. And tomorrow morning when the sun uh, rises and we step outside and we feel its warmth, our hearts may know again that your compassions don't fail and your mercy is new and new forever. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.